So we are in a series, a new series we started last week called Unstuck. And it's about how the Apostle Paul changed the world. And it's really important for us to go through this. We've been going through the book of Acts, and now we're going to start tracking the life of the Apostle Paul. So I want to start this morning by telling you a story from a book by a guy named James Hamilton called Directions. And it's a story about listening to God's Spirit and then, by extension, learning how to have God lead us by His Spirit. So here's how the story goes. Before refrigerators, people used ice houses to preserve their food. Ice houses had thick walls, no windows, and a tightly fitting door. In winter, when streams and lakes were frozen, large blocks of ice were cut, hauled to the ice houses, and they were covered with sawdust. And often the ice would last well into the summer. And so once in one of these ice houses, a man was working in there, and he lost a valuable watch while working in the ice house. He searched diligently for it, carefully raking through the sawdust, but he could not find this watch. His fellow workers also took time to look, and they worked hard, but their efforts also proved futile. But then a small boy comes along who heard about their plight, and he slipped into the ice house unknown, and he did this during the noon hour, and soon he emerged with the watch in his hand. And so the men were amazed at how he did this, and they asked him, how did you do this? And he said, I closed the door, lay down in the sawdust, and I kept very still. Soon I could hear the watch ticking. And often I think we don't hear God speaking to us and thus we struggle to be led by his spirit because we don't know how to be quiet, to listen well to God. And so we have a hard time being led by his spirit. I think many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we're much like the man and his fellow workers. We struggle to hear from God and thus we don't know how, what it means to be led by his spirit in our daily lives like we're going to see Paul be led in the passage we're covering this morning. Our hearing can be clouded by our busy schedule, our routine concerns, what we fill our minds with, our social media use. And so we struggle to spend quality time with the Lord so that we can be quiet and just listen to what God has to say to us. However, I want to put this in front of you. It is essential for us as Christians to understand how to be led by the Spirit of God. Because without the leading of God's Spirit, we are in serious danger. Or as the great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without the wind, branches without sap, and like coals without fire. We are useless. And so what we want to learn this morning is we want to ask the question, how can we learn to be led by the Spirit of God? And I'm going to lay two things before you this morning. First, that God leads us by His Spirit through biblical wisdom, and then secondly, through our relationship with Him. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. We're going to go through verses 1 through 10 this morning. And so while you're turning there, let me give you a background about the book of Acts. It was written by Luke the physician. He was a man who traveled around with Paul on some of his missionary journeys. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, 
and then this book of Acts as a two-part story. So you can almost call Acts like the sequel to the book of Luke. The first part is covering who Jesus is and what happened to him and proving that he really is the Messiah through eyewitness accounts. Then the second part of this two-part story is the book of Acts, where it shows how the apostles continued what Jesus started in the book of Luke. And so in the context of where we are in the story chapter 16, we're seeing the Apostle Paul continue on some of these missionary journeys. We're in the middle of his second missionary journey where he is going back to old churches that he has visited previously in order to encourage them and to help them to see about a particular decision that they had made as the, the leadership of the church. But also he is looking for new places to plant churches and to bring about, bring some new Christians. But anytime we have a conversation where we talk about what it means to be led by the Spirit or we talk about the Holy Spirit, I want to take a moment to talk about who the Holy Spirit is. Because I have found in my years of ministry that many Christians in the West are confused about who the Spirit is. So much so, check out this study I found this week. Some 62% of self-identified born-again Christians, people who have placed their faith in Jesus, contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but is merely a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. 62%. And if that's something that you believe, I'm just going to be very gentle in telling you this. This is not what the Bible tells us. And in fact, that is like hindering your relationship with God to believe in something like that. Because this is who the Holy Spirit is. He is a person, the third person of the Godhead, what we also call the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each person in the Trinity, in this Godhead, are all God. They are co-equal. They all exist at the exact same time. And so he, the, the Holy Spirit is God's tangible presence with us on this earth. He is also the one who comes to dwell in us when we put our faith in Jesus alone for our salvation. He is also, as the fact that he is dwelling in us, that is our down payment by God that is guaranteeing our eternal inheritance with Jesus forever when we put our faith in him. So the Holy Spirit, he also transforms us when we put our faith in Jesus, turning us from a new... into making us a new person from the inside out. He convicts us of our sin. He comforts us in difficult times that we face. He gives us the words to speak when it's time to share the gospel with someone. And there is so much more to the Holy Spirit. But this morning, we're going to take some time to consider how to decipher his voice and how to be led by him. And so let's look at our first point this morning, that God leads us by his spirit through biblical wisdom. I'm going to say that again. God leads us by his spirit through biblical wisdom. And so let's begin in verse 1. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. 
So really quick, I'm going to show you a map because I want you to kind of get your bearings. I'm kind of a nerd this way where I like to know where I am. And especially when there's a story that's talking about these real places, I like to know where things are at. So down here is where we start. And by the end of this story, Paul ends up here. So he covers a lot of miles in 10 verses. Okay? So he goes from Derby and then he comes to Lystra. This is where he meets Timothy. Then he makes his way up. God, by for some reason, tells Paul not to go this way at this time. Okay, we don't quite fully know the reason, but eventually, as you can see from the arrow, Paul does make his way to Ephesus, a very important city in that region. So Paul continues his way up here, and then around here, he wants to go into this area called Bithynia. But God also says no to him going there for some reason. We'll talk about all that in a few minutes. So then he comes this way, and then here at Troas, God tells him to go up here to the region of Macedonia. So that's just, I want you to kind of get your bearings as to where things are. And all of this right here is modern day Turkey. And for those of you who prayed for us when we went on our mission trip last year, we went to this little island right here called Lesbos and this little city we flew into, this little city called Mytilene. So just giving you a quick little overview of where things are going to be this morning. But Timothy, who is talked about in this first verse, is a very prominent figure in the life of Paul. He becomes a disciple of Paul, and Paul actually calls him his child in the faith. So he's very close to Paul. But part of the reason Paul is on this journey in this uh, on this journey in the first place is to go to these Gentile churches, meaning non-Jewish people, telling them about this decision that was reached in Acts chapter 15 at what, was, at what we call the Jerusalem Council, and it was regarding Gentile believers and Jewish practices from the Old Testament like circumcision and dietary laws. See, at that council, they had decided that Gentile believers were not required to be circumcised or to participate in the dietary laws in order for them to become Christians. But the council still recommended to Gentile Christians to stay away from food, sacrifice to idols, and sexual immorality. So this was a huge decision by this council because it could have led to many Gentiles rejecting Jesus or it would have placed upon them a works-based idea of salvation where they could earn their relationship with God which was totally antithetical to the gospel message that had been preached to this point, being a free gift of God's grace to all people. And so in this instance, the, Jewish, the Jerusalem council made the right decision. And so as part of this missionary journey for Paul, he is informing churches about this decision. But he's got a really interesting kind of circumstance here with Timothy, Typically in the situation where a Jewish woman married a Gentile man in Timothy's situation, his Jewish mother married a Greek man. Typically in that situation, the Jewish law would view Timothy as a Jewish man because that would pass down through the mother. And so he ought to have been circumcised when he was eight days old. But in this case, the Greek father likely refused for this to happen. So now it becomes this ethical consideration. How does Paul handle this situation? The Jerusalem council just reached this decision about Gentile believers. What is he supposed to do with Timothy? Let's continue. Verse 2. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. 
So Timothy has this really great reputation with the people of the area where he lives. And Paul also is so impressed with Timothy that he wants to take him along on these missionary journeys. But the fact that Timothy isn't circumcised actually could be, as, and probably would be, a stumbling block for the Jews that they would come across. Remember, the Jerusalem Council made their decision about those who were exclusively Gentiles, not part Jewish. But in the case of Timothy, because he was considered Jewish but uncircumcised, it would then be a stumbling block for Jewish people to accept the gospel because Timothy was not circumcised. And it's not like the Jews are going to walk around like checking him for that. However, they would know, especially in, in the region where he's from, they would know him, his family, his, his father, and they probably would guess that he wasn't circumcised. So as a result, Timothy would be viewed as being rebellious against God by the Jews, and so they would not want to hear the message. And also, Timothy and the party with Paul would not be able to enter the synagogues and the temples because it was required to be circumcised to enter. And so that was part of Paul's kind of missionary strategies. He would first go to the Jewish synagogues and temples, and then he would reach out to the Gentiles. And so this is something that Paul made the decision. You know what? Despite this decision that was made here, we've got to do this, Timothy. I'm very sorry, buddy. We've got to do this. And, and so Paul was seeking to remove this stumbling block. And so many of you might be thinking, wait a minute. I thought the gospel made us free to make our own choices on certain issues like that. And you would be right. But in situations like this, the guiding principle here is not to allow our, free, our freedom to be a stumbling block for someone else to come to faith in Jesus. See, Paul discussed this principle further in 1 Corinthians 9, 22. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. So what Paul means here is he is allowing himself to kind of adapt to the cultures he would reach so that there, it would remove any sort of stumbling blocks. And I'm going to call it reasonably adapting. You know, there are certain things you wouldn't do because you still want to stand out as a follower of Jesus. But I think this is a principle we need to resurrect today in our culture because we must desire to see people come to Jesus more than holding on to our personal preferences and freedoms and ideas. So let me give you an example of this. When I went to India on a mission trip many years ago, the women on our team would wear these very beautiful, like Indian clothing called saris. Right? And they had to, whenever we prayed, they had to cover, there was a part of it, they had to lift up and cover their head. It was a cultural practice that they had to do. Us as men, we didn't have to go to that length, but we still had to dress nicer so that we didn't put a stumbling block in front of these people because that was something that was really important to them. But also, we had to eat the food that they were given to us no matter what it looked or smelled like. For example, I once got a very charred fish head with the eye still in it. No, I did not eat the eye. However, I had to make sure to eat because it, was, uh, it would have been offensive if I had said no to them, even though this was a very impoverished community. 
And so like I said, it's about reasonably adapting to a culture to remove stumbling blocks so that they can come to, come to know Jesus. Our priority as Christians is not our comfort or our preferences, but the spreading of the gospel message as far as it can go. And so that's why Paul wanted to remove the stumbling block when it came to Timothy and ultimately had him circumcised so that Jews would desire to trust in Jesus. Let's continue verse 4. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So this is about the Jerusalem council decision regarding what the Gentile believers were supposed to do. And so they're delivering this, and you can see something positive happening with these churches. And so the evidence of the wisdom of the decision from the Jerusalem council is shown from what results from it. The Gentiles are encouraged in their faith. Unity is increased between Gentile and Jewish believers, and as a result, more people come to know Jesus, which is the point anyway. But I want you to understand something. A true application of the free gift of the gospel of grace always leads to strengthening believers. So whenever you feel discouraged in your faith in Jesus, is it possible that you are instead trusting in something that is based in yourself and your own abilities rather than the ability of Jesus and what he accomplished for us on the cross? Because here's the thing. The gospel says that you cannot save yourself. You cannot change yourself by your own works and abilities, but only through what Jesus accomplished on the cross by taking on human flesh, living a perfect sinless life, dying on the cross in our place because we deserve to be there. And then three days later, rising from the dead. When we trust completely in that gospel story, not just one time so that we are saved and get fire insurance, but we trust in it every day for the rest of our lives. Despair is defeated because there is always hope in the God who loved us enough to come and die in our place. But I want us to remember our first point this morning. God leads us by his spirit through biblical wisdom. Paul here shows incredible wisdom through the issues that are involved here with Timothy's circumcision. And so we can also learn to discern the will of God through spirit-led wisdom. When we know and understand God's word and understand what it says about particular issues, we can also discern God's leading in our lives. Because I want you to understand something. God will never lead you into something that contradicts his word the Bible. His wisdom always comes from his word. And thus, when you know his word, you can begin to understand where his spirit could be leading in your life. The word was God breathed. In other words, inspired by God. It was breathed out by his spirit through the biblical writers. So here's my advice. Seek to do whatever you can to understand this thing. And if you don't, ask someone for help. Use our journals that we provide so that you may be able to study along with us in our sermons. Join a growth group. And there are all kinds of resources you can find online, like the Bible Project. And there's, there's been a, an explosion of resources on YouTube that are outside the Bible Project that do some really quality work as well. You have an abundance of resources to understand the Bible. 
So get your hands on everything you can find to grow in your understanding of God's word to better gain biblical wisdom that will help you discern God's spirit leading you in your life. So for our second point, we'll continue this morning. God leads us by his spirit through our relationship with him. I'll say that again. God leads us by his spirit through our relationship with him. We'll have that up again later, but let's continue in verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And so what we're seeing here is Paul is continuing his journey. Like I showed you on the map, he is coming up to this area and he is denied coming towards the west into Asia and modern day Turkey. And instead he stays to the east part of those areas. And so through some unknown means, the Holy Spirit doesn't let Paul go towards Asia. And so it's a good time to ask this question. Why would the Spirit block, be blocking Paul to go that direction? Doesn't God care about those people? Aren't, don't those people matter? Shouldn't the gospel be brought to them? But I think the answer to that question really has to do with God's sovereignty and plan. And what I mean by God's sovereignty is the fact that he is the creator of this universe. He is the king and ruler of it, and he exercises his rule as he sees fit. You see, he gets to make decisions over what happens to the world because he is the one who made it, and it is his. It belongs to him. So he gets to make the kinds of decisions that you and I don't make because he is the one in that sovereign position. So clearly, the Spirit has some sort of plan here about not sending Paul into this area yet And so Paul isn't quite fully in on the reasons why. And so as a result, we don't know why. And so that's why we need to learn to trust God in his leading because he is the one who does know and he is the, ultimately, he knows what his reasoning is and we have to trust it. But we know from scripture that Paul does eventually make it to the city of Ephesus. He makes it to that region of Asia because he, he visits it on his third missionary trip. He saw it on the map. He spent three years building up the church in Ephesus. So, it, of course, God completely cared about these people. It's not that God doesn't care for these people, but it's about the specific timing involved with his plan. And trusting in his timing is also extremely important to God. Verse 7. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. So Paul is denied again going into a second spot. I think by this point, you know, if it were me, I'd probably be getting frustrated. Like, okay, where do you want us to go? What are you trying to do? And sidebar, the spirit of Jesus is still the Holy Spirit. This isn't some extra thing that's happening here. And here's what I think is happening. Because Luke references the spirit here as the spirit of Jesus, my best guess is that there was some sort of prophecy in one of the churches that Paul visited along the way. Someone uttered a prophecy in the name of Jesus, and so he decided to listen to that prophecy and did not go to where he wanted to go based on that prophecy. And so it was a spirit of Jesus in that sense. But then Paul goes to this city called Troas on the very northwestern corner of that little inlet of what we call Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, right across the Aegean Sea to where the Macedonians lived. 
And Troas was this really important communications hub for the Roman Empire. So Paul actually has a nice little location to start sending out some messages. But it's also possible that their way could have been blocked into Bithynia by some sort of military blockade or some sort of natural disaster. But regardless, Paul and Luke and the rest of the team see this as God acting himself. It was God's will that they went this particular direction. And Paul is showing the trust in God just to go where God is leading. But I think the answer as to why God is saying no to these particular areas is going to become clear by the end of this section. Because later on in this region of Bithynia, we have a very important historical historical city for the Christian faith called Nicaea, where the Nicene Creed was written. So again, it's not that God doesn't care about these people or that he thinks in some way they won't believe, but it's again, it's about trusting in God's leading and timing to go where he is calling us to go. And so it probably seems like at this time during this part of the journey, Paul and his team are simply kind of wandering around, kind of going in one direction, but they're waiting for the Spirit to make clear where he wants them to go, and they keep getting denied. I just want you to imagine that for a second. That could get really discouraging and frustrating. Like how many times have we all been through situations in our lives where we're waiting for God to answer something? We've been praying for the same thing over and over again for him to make something clear and we're just waiting and waiting and waiting and it feels like silence. That's what it would feel like here. But God always answers and he finally does here with Paul. Verse nine. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So because Paul is a good Bible student and he grew up in the Jewish faith, so he knows how the, how the Bible would talk about this, that anyone who calls for help is actually calling to be saved, to be rescued. And so Paul would know immediately, okay, this means I need to go bring the gospel to Macedonia because this is how people are saved. So Macedonia was located in northern Greece and also to the east of Greece a little bit and had been a world power under Philip of Macedonia and his son, Alexander the Great, several centuries earlier. But now it's just a regular Roman province. For the Greeks, they looked down upon the Macedonians, viewing them as barbarians, except in the way that they viewed their ruling class. The Greeks had respect for the ruling class of the Macedonians. But because a vision happens in this part of the story, it is likely the previous instances of the Spirit denying them to go to certain places did not come by a vision because it certainly would have been recorded for us in that way. So again, it's almost as if Paul has been waiting around for a vision like this to make it clear where God wants him to go. And we're going to skip this next week but and go and talk about what happens when Paul gets to Athens next week. But what happens after Paul goes into Macedonia, he sees great success in Philippi, where he, a lot of people come to know Jesus, and that's where we get our book of the Philippians. We also, Paul visits Thessalonica, and some kind of crazy stuff happens there. And First and Second Thessalonians, Paul writes to them later. And then we have the city of Berea, where we see great examples of faith. So God did a lot of work through Paul in the area of Macedonia. So Paul was great to be obedient. Verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
So now a really interesting change, change happens in the way the story is recorded for us. First, Luke, and through the majority of this book, he has been portraying the stories from a third person plural. He's not there. He's not witnessed these things. He's hearing this from somewhere else. But now it switches to the first person plural, we. So now we can see Luke has joined the missionary group and he is reporting these things firsthand. But one thing is very clear for, for us at this point in the story. God has to be involved with the leading in a particular direction. See, if God doesn't bless or lead in a particular direction, then he is not in it. And that's not a direction that we want to go. You see, we learned from this that it's not enough to simply do something God would sort of kind of want us to do in general, but we need to be asking about what he specifically wants us to do. How does he specifically want us to carry out his will? And we must always obey the specific leading that he gives us. But of course, you're probably asking, so then how do we know that he is leading in these specific ways? Especially considering the fact that we don't get these kinds of visions that Paul got in this story in our current day. And so here's how we do it. God leads us by his spirit through our relationship with him. So let me give you a few pieces of advice to cultivate your relationship with Jesus. First, as we talked about earlier, understand the Bible and get biblical wisdom because that'll help us to discern God's leading. God is not a God of confusion. He is a God of wisdom. He created wisdom. So of course, his word is going to be something that will have wisdom in it. That's why we have the wisdom books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. So we understand that wisdom comes from God and it's in his word. It will help us to discern God's spirit and it builds our relationship with him. Second, we continually cultivate our relationship with Jesus. So it's not just a one-time thing, but you got to daily pursue Jesus over and over again. I want you to think of it like this. Think of a close friend that you know, or if you're married, think of your spouse. You learn over time what pleases these important people in your life as you grow in your relationship with them. You know their likes, you know their dislikes, what makes them tick, what drives them insane. So for example, with my wife, Lindsay, she likes gifts. She does, she likes gifts, but it's not her top love language. But if I say something encouraging to her or write a note of encouragement to her, it absolutely melts her. She loves that kind of encouragement. And I only learned this by cultivating my relationship with her and getting to know her likes and dislikes, what makes her tick, what drives her crazy, and what her love language is. You see, the more we cultivate our relationship with Jesus, the more we begin to know his heart, what he wants from us overall, and how we can live in a way that pleases him. And as well, when we do this, he begins to change us from the inside out, making us a new person so that it becomes more natural for us to know what it is that he wants us to do. And over time, his heart becomes our heart. And so it's not as difficult of a struggle. It's still a struggle because we're broken human beings, but it's not as much of a struggle to hear how God wants to speak to us and where he might be leading because his heart is now ours. But a third thing we can do is that we can fast and we can pray more intentionally. So I'm a person who absolutely loves food. That's why Thanksgiving's my favorite holiday, because I love to eat. 
Thanksgiving food. But I've seen the value of a fast as well. Fasting, I want you to understand this, is more than just abstaining from food to wait for a big revelation from God or to get something from him. Fasting is a way for you to say, God, I'm more desperate for you right now than I am for food. My desire for you is greater than for food. My need for you is greater than my need for food. And obviously, if you have a medical condition that keeps you from fasting, like diabetes or something like that, then don't do it or learn how to properly do it from your personal doctor. I'm not here to give medical advice. That's not what I'm going for in my schooling. But fasting can include all kinds of different things. It can be fasting from entertainment, from video games, social media, watching sports on TV or watching, binge watching your favorite show on Netflix. It could be all kinds of different things that you could fast from. But no matter what it is you fast from, the time you would take doing those particular things you use to spend time connecting with God on a special level. And just let me encourage you with this. Every time I've fasted and had intentional times of prayer like this, I've seen God answer prayers in very tangible ways. Sometimes I'll, pr- I'll, I'll fast about a particular issue. That's like it's the number one thing on my mind. I'm praying about it. I want God to answer it. But then God comes through during that day and answers prayer number 50 on my list. And sometimes that can be a little frustrating, but every time it's happened, I, f- I can sense God saying to me, I've heard your prayer. I'm listening to you. Trust me. I'm in total control of everything. I can sense God leading in those ways. And then the last piece of advice I have for you is to talk to other Christian friends you trust to gain discernment from them. So notice how in verse 10 of this story that the team concludes with Paul that God is leading them to Macedonia. Paul wasn't missionary in chief on this team, but they were prayerfully working together to make decisions. Let me make this very clear. We need other Christians in our lives to help us discern God's will. See, I have, really, I have four really solid Christian brothers who I talk to on a very frequent basis. One of them at least daily, but the rest of them weekly, asking them to pray for specific things and talk things through with them and see how God might speak into my life through them. And they all kind of come from different theological perspectives. They all believe in the heart of Christianity, the gospel and the main things. But I purposefully want guys in my life who love Jesus, have to surrender their lives to him, but might see some of the non-essential things a little bit differently than I do. So that I know for sure I am hearing from a wide variety of perspectives and hear from God through them. So think about this. Do you have people like that in your life? It's really important to have that. I can tell you, it has made a huge difference in my life to have men in my life I trust, who I trust to speak into my life and give me the encouragement that I need. And so in closing, I want to read something from a Reader's Digest from March 2005 as an illustration of what we've been talking about. In the world of technology, there is a new development called hypersonic sound. The inventor, Elwood Woody Norris, has engineered sound waves to travel like a laser beam for about 150 yards. 
This allows sound to be heard by a person in a particular place, but not by those immediately surrounding them. So you could be listening to music or specific instructions while those standing next to you would have complete silence. And if you move out of that tightly formed path of these, of these unique sound waves, you too will be unaware of any noise. You see, God's communication with us is very similar to these sound waves. We must always be in the right place to hear the Holy Spirit through biblical wisdom, through our relationship with him. And that's the way we can make sure the message is clear what God is trying to speak to us. If we move away from the pathway of his voice, we become unaware of the fact that he is communicating with us. And consequently, we miss the message. So to close out, I want to ask you a few questions. How can you cultivate your relationship with Jesus this week so that you are more sensitive to his spirit leading you? How can you better grasp God's wisdom as given to us through his word? And is there a greater step you could take, such as increasing your amount of time in prayer or try out fasting in some sort of way to increase your desire for God? But let's remember the main points this morning. God leads us by his spirit through biblical wisdom and our relationship with him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you lead us by your spirit through your wisdom. God, thank you that you are a God who saw us in our sin. You came and you died for us to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be made right with you. But God, not only that, You've given us your spirit to commune with you, to have a relationship with you, to talk to you. God, thank you for your word that you have given to us to know your heart, to know your wisdom, to know what it is that we are supposed to be doing. So God, help us to pursue you. Help us to discern your will through your word and our relationship with you. God, we pray that for the rest of this service this morning that you are honored, you are glorified. God, make us new by your spirit and make it clear what it is you want us to do. We thank you for this morning and we pray this in your name. Amen.